Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. My sincere thanks to listeners and those who have liked, subscribed, and commented. Your interest is noticed and deeply appreciated. The subject of this podcast is a topic that has been brewing around in my head for some time now, and I thought about the best way to approach covering it. The culture and atmosphere in a dojo is a pretty deep topic, and I wanted to take it on in a way that was interesting and yet covered many of the issues that groups face. It's also important to me to keep an informative and productive tone and not slide into a doom and gloom feel. Given how dysfunctional some dojos and training groups can be, this can be difficult. I'm not afraid to put the issues on the table and discuss them honestly. As I do, our minds should always be on trying to make them better, not just complain about them. As the title of this podcast indicates, I've identified three major categories of dojos. When I use the term dojo here, I'm not referring to the building, the room, or the mat itself. I'm talking about the group of people you are training with. Almost always, the group is led by a main instructor or teacher. If the group is larger, there are probably several instructors and assistant instructors who oversee the training. The term dojo here also means someone teaching one or two students in their backyard in their spare time. A dojo doesn't necessarily mean a professional martial arts business where money has exchanged hands, either. I will touch on that aspect and the influence of the business aspect of the martial arts, but that's not the main focus of this episode. When it comes to the three categories, keep in mind that your dojo might have some combination of the traits of the different categories. It may not be purely one of them. Like most people in groups, there's likely good along with bad. Hopefully your group is far more good than bad, and the negative aspects are few and very minor. Should you encounter a negative aspect, be patient and work to help solve the problem. I'll get a bit more into that later on in the episode. Usually, I like to start with the negative so I can end on a good note, but in this case, I think it would be better to start with the ideal. That is the dojo that is a magical place. A dojo like this is one which has a positive and supportive culture. All people within it are friendly and invest a great deal toward one another. There is a genuine friendship between them, even to the point of feeling like family. The level of trust they have with each other is very high. What I'm describing are symptoms of a healthy dojo, not the root cause. The health of a dojo comes from providing solid teaching and mentoring, with everyone being actively part of the process. Instructors who are passionate about providing productive training so students feel that every time they walk out of the dojo, they are better than they were when they walked in, even if only by a little bit. They should enjoy the experience because learning is such a fun process. It will have its frustrating points, but they will not seem as bad when you are surrounded by people who go out of their way to support you and help you. When you come across a group like this, you have found a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. They are extremely rare and precious. My advice is to take advantage of such a group and participate as much as you can because they may not always be around when you finally get around to participating. The reason I say this is that a group is a living thing, and like any living thing, it has a lifespan. A group can change or disappear very quickly, and for a wide variety of reasons. A group can disintegrate if an instructor moves away or retires, or even if a dojo loses its lease and has trouble finding another space. A friend and fellow instructor moved his dojo across town to a new space and had to start his group over from scratch. His students, for a number of reasons, didn't follow in the move. It's totally understandable, and no one to blame. It is what it is. Most dojos, particularly ones who are a business, try to create the good culture so that they can attract students. Professional-looking signs and brochures are made, the lobby and entranceway are dressed up, the changing rooms and dojo room are tricked out to look polished 
and efforts are made to give the impression of a healthy group. These are all important factors because having a pleasant environment does put the mind into a better place. It's always good to get a head start on creating a positive environment. When the outward appearance of a dojo is poor, then it starts things out on a bad foot. If the dojo is filthy, poorly maintained, equipment laying all over in piles, and smells like an old sweat sock, these leave very strong impressions on what goes on there. These are signs of neglect. If a group is neglectful of their space, what are the chances they are neglectful in other areas? If you listen for a while to boxers, fighters, and martial artists of all types, they will often reminisce about the filthy gym or dojo they trained in, and they would start to beam on how great it was. They aren't expressing joy in the filth. They are expressing the joy in the personal growth that they experience there. It is possible to create a great culture through solid teaching and training in a poor or humble environment, but it's the person-to-person -person mentoring which makes it special. This brings me to the second category, the dead place. Just as I mentioned earlier, the appearance of a dojo itself has little to do with what is really going on within the group. When I say a dead place, I'm referring to people showing up and going through the motions without being personally invested in it. I'd say a vast majority of dojos suffer from this problem. It is usually traced back to an instructor or instructors who have lost their passion for teaching. Maybe they never had it in the first place. Either way, they are there in body but not in spirit. Instructors like this show little interest in building students' skills and abilities. There are many reasons why this happens. Perhaps they are more focused on the business of their dojo and finding ways to get new students signed up so that they can pay the bills. Maybe their personal or family life is being so demanding that their minds are on that. Perhaps they take for granted their dojo and its students so much that they just don't care to spend quality time with helping students. The reason or reasons don't really matter. It's the results that matter. The result is that the students feel like they don't matter and they do not get very much help, if any, from the instructor. The students may try to help one another out, and there is some learning going on, but it is very slow going and students often get frustrated. They are probably not keen to say anything about it either. They either feel that they are just a student and they should be patiently going along with the program, or the instructor might get offended and their comments would not change anything anyway. Bigger dojos with a strong culture make a clear impression that the individual students are not important. The program is what it is, and it won't change to suit the interests of any particular student. The picture this paints with students is that they can either get with the program or leave. This take-it-or-leave-it message is pretty harsh, and it does not build trust. Members of a dojo like this often busy themselves in the rituals and maintenance of a dojo. That thinking being that if they put in the work, the dojo will flourish. They want to help the dojo as any good student would. A dojo benefits by having care shown for its appearance and cleanliness. When class starts, the lack of passion comes out in classes, which eat up the clock but don't provide productive learning. If students quietly arrive before class, silently change into their uniforms, participate in class, then quietly get dressed and leave quickly, these are signs of a dead place. They show up, go through the motions of training, but are really not much better off because of it. The magical place I described earlier has students who show up excited and eager to learn because they are anticipating what happened in the last class and the class before that, which is they learned something remarkable and came away better. They are very much looking forward to going further. They never think about checking off a box on a chart which gets them one step closer to being able to test for the next belt rank. They are thrilled at the promise of what they are about to learn. 
Take an honest look at what your dojo or practice group looks like in the times when people arrive and when they leave. You will see a very good indication of the spirit of that group. The group should be healthy and vibrant. Students should be excited for the next class and to learn. One of the things that dashes that excitement is when the instructor they respect and enjoy learning from either doesn't show up or rarely teaches. Constantly passing off classes to assistant instructors shows open disregard for students. We are now straying towards the third category, the toxic dojo. I'd love to say that these groups are rare, but I would be lying. They are quite common, and for some reason the martial arts seems to invite major ego problems. Toxic dojos are almost always due to issues of poor character, usually by those who lead the group. If you have an egomaniac or jackass as the leader of the group, there is virtually no chance that the group will be healthy. The culture of that group will be built around him feeding his own ego and reputation. He will berate students constantly and manipulate them to make himself look good. Usually this is plain as day and only people who don't want to see it will fail to see it. The promise of learning solid martial arts skills can seduce people into staying with a psychotic or sadistic instructor. I could do a whole podcast on this subject all by itself. My advice if you find an instructor like this, don't be drawn in by how skilled he is and think he will teach you what he can do. He won't. He will use you and abuse you. One day, maybe long into the future, you will realize one of two things. One, you were taken advantage of and never got what you wanted and only suffered abuse and wasted a lot of your time. Or two, you did get some good training, but now you are similar to him, a jerk, and need to go fix your personality. I know people personally who have gone through both, and I've been involved with instructors like this. It is ugly, and I advise you to stay away when you notice a psychotic instructor. A toxic dojo is not always due to a sociopath or egomaniac head instructor. One which is an inattentive or poor leader can be a good person, but allow people with character problems to create a toxic environment. This is usually due to a lack of good leadership. Letting instructors, seniors, or even students get away with bad behavior will create a toxic culture in time. One minor thing goes unaddressed, soon turns into repeated behavior. Repeated behavior quickly turns into habits. Bad habits become culture. A great mantra which addresses this is, Mind your thoughts, for your thoughts become words. Mind your words, for your words become actions. Mind your actions, for your actions become habits. Mind your habits, for your habits become character. Mind your character, for your character becomes your destiny. Whether you are looking at this from a personal standpoint or the standpoint of your dojo, at what point do you intervene and correct poor attitude? Note that the earlier you catch a poor attitude, the easier it is to address and correct. If the level of dysfunction and toxicity gets high enough, there's no fixing it without purging the group of all the negative influences. Surely you've heard the concept of the echo chamber. That is, when people of like mind get together and they only tell each other what they want to hear. Think about an echo chamber of negative attitudes. The communication is entirely negative and leaves no room for positive to enter it. We human beings are social creatures. We understand that if everyone in a group is talking about one subject, you are not wise to inject the opposite with them. A negative culture, even a mild one, repulses positivity. The stronger the negativity, the stronger positive people will shun it. But what about a positive culture? Yes, a positive culture can be unappealing to people with negative attitudes. But there's something I've noticed about negativity that does not apply to positivity. 
That is, that there are negative people who feed on the energy of positive people. The reverse is not true, though. Positive people get dragged down by negative people. It is possible for a negative person to be in an overwhelmingly positive group and change to become positive themselves. It takes great effort for the leopard to change his spots, so to speak, but it can happen. What I've noticed far more often is that a negative person comes into a positive group and just hangs around. The positive people try to lift the negative person up to join them in having a positive attitude, and this shows good character on their part. Most negative people have trouble letting go of their trauma or emotional damage and cannot let go of their negativity. As this is going on, inevitably another negative person comes to the group. They quickly attach to the negative person and start their own little echo chamber of their own, and so the seed starts to sprout. This goes on a while without much impact, as the positive people are largely unaffected by only a couple of negative people. Then another negative person or two arrives and sees that there are people like them there. They now see the group as a home. They share in feeding on the positive energy of the good people, and the negative people are now amassing. The positive people are now wondering what's going on. The feel of the group is now shifting enough that it becomes noticeable. The shift was probably very subtle, but it happened over time, but now it's becoming apparent. Since there has likely been no overtly bad behavior to address, kind people are perplexed with how to address what they are seeing as creeping poor behavior. After all, they never said anything before about the same behavior they have been seeing since the first negative person showed up. How can they justify taking action now when they didn't do it before? They think that since they did nothing before, and it didn't go poorly, that they should do the same thing again. So they do nothing, and the trend continues. Before long, the positive people start seeing that the group isn't what it once was. The magic is disappearing and being replaced by a feel they don't care for. So they start showing up less often. The good people will feel less drawn to participate, and if the trend continues, they will start to drop out. The negative people have gained a critical mass and their echo chamber has grown large enough to drown out the positive one. At this point, the group is doomed. There is no fixing it short of expelling the negative and starting over. It's very difficult to get the good people who left back after this happens. Since many dojos would be committing financial suicide by doing this, they try to ride it out and hope that they get an influx of positive people to shift the balance back towards the positive. But what do new prospective students see when they come in? Usually they are turned off by the negative attitudes and egos they find, so they don't sign up or stay long. The hope of positive influences coming in will never be realized. If you have the magical place I described in the beginning of this episode, you must carefully and diligently work to keep it that way. It can easily slip from being a magical place into being a dead place, or further down into a toxic place if you're not careful about it. Now, I'm not saying that you need to introduce strict military-like discipline on thoughts and actions because this can create its own tyrannical atmosphere. However, if you see or notice something that seems amiss, gently guide it back on track. If a negative person comes in, carefully assess whether your group is ready to take on a project. If so, team up to diligently work on turning them to the positive. If it appears you cannot, don't be shy about politely saying that this group isn't for them. To grow a healthy tree, it must be pruned from time to time. Giving up on one student's tuition today is far better than having to cut your dojo's tuition revenue in half in a few years. When I describe these three categories, 
you can see that they kind of stack on top of one another with the magical place being the most desirable at the top, the toxic place at the bottom, and the dead place in the middle. It's easy to drop down and it takes a lot of work to move up on that scale. I suppose in a way it's rather like being overweight. It's far easier to have to lose 20 or 30 pounds to get back in good shape than to have to lose 100 to 150 pounds or more. The health of your dojo is at stake. Unlike being overweight, you can choose to leave and just find another dojo. Probably the worst thing that you can do, apart from being the negative influence in your dojo, is to pretend the culture is better than it is. If there is something amiss, don't just ignore it. Kind of like a mess on the floor. Don't cover it up or ignore it. Problems never get solved this way. Be honest and recognize a problem for what it is, no matter how seemingly insignificant. Deal with it appropriately. Small problems only require small adjustments to fix them. Never make a bigger drama out of something than it needs to be. Just fix it. If you can't fix it, get someone who can deal with it quickly and with as little fuss as possible. Drama fosters turmoil, so stay away from drama. Resolving tension or conflict should be done as elegantly as possible. The sooner you resolve these problems before the rumors and scuttlebutt spread, the better. Once a problem starts and it's clearly not being dealt with, even though it's not talked about openly, it's best to make a clear and open statement that the problem is being addressed, what is being done, and how it is being or has been put to bed. This eases people's minds and avoids ill feeling or tension from spreading. It may feel unpleasant to do so, but a small bit of discomfort in the short term saves full-on pain in the long run. Always keep in mind the health of the group you are going into. You will always absorb the traits of the people that you spend time with, for good or for bad, whether you like it or not. Recognizing the poor traits can help you avoid picking them up, but in time it will happen to some degree. Make sure you choose wisely who you learn from and who you associate with. They will form your character. Your character will form your destiny. When you have spent time in an overwhelmingly positive company, you will be very happy with who you have become and what your destiny turns out to be. What do you think? Please share your ideas in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube, or go to the Facebook group Aikido The Marshall Side and post a comment. The Spirit Aikido online program is now live. Subscribers get access to video training and mentoring to techniques and training methods I've adopted from other martial arts to make my Aikido more practical. There's a link in the description section. I invite you to check it out. I always enjoy hearing from listeners of the show, whether through comments or questions. Thank you all for sharing your interest. Enjoy your training. Seriously, if you're not enjoying your training, something is wrong.